today is found in uh, Hebrews, cha- uh, he- excuse me, Numbers chapter 12, 13. <laughs> I can get to it myself. Numbers chapter 13, uh, verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And showed them the, uh, and they told him, "We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit." However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone out to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you today, we do acknowledge that this passage is given as an exhortation to us And so as we hear from your word today, let us hear it as if you are speaking to us. Let us receive it as a word from you. Help me to get out of the way. Remove all distractions and give us grace while we listen today so that we might listen, hear, and obey. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So today we are continuing our study by looking at our next uh, chapter in our family history Uh, Last time we were together, we talked about Israel's uh, journey to the Promised Land and some of the problems that they ran into along the way. And one of the first problems that we mentioned was their complaining. Uh, The people had uh, complained against God in in several different ways, and uh, God took those complaints as a direct complaint against him, and as a result, he judged them. Uh, Their complaining and murmuring were a sign of their unbelief and uh, ungratefulness to the God who had saved them and provided for them all that they would need along the journey to the promised land that he was giving them. So today we look at another way in which they were unbelieving and rebellious, and that is through their disobedience. God has brought Israel all the way to the borders of the promised land. So they are there now on the cusp of the land. They can see it. And he has told them that he is giving them this land as their inheritance. Um, And as a matter of fact, when God first told Israel that he was going to give them this land, he said that there would be people in the land when they got there. He said that, I'm going to drive out the inhabitants of the land little by little with hornets, but I'm not going to drive them out completely so that the land doesn't lie foul and so that it's not overrun with beasts. 
And so God leaves the people in the land so that they can keep it up for the people of Israel. So they should indeed expect people to be there dwelling in the, uh, in the land when they arrive, right? Well, when they get there, they ask Moses if some people can go in and spy out the land. They, they say, send in some spies so they can go in and check things out for us. And God agrees to allow them to do so, but it is only to their own peril because the spies come back with an unbelieving uh, bad report to Israel. And as a result, the people become fearful and unbelieving, and they are unwilling to go in and take the land. But among those unbelieving spies, there were 12, there were two faithful ones, Caleb and Joshua. And they said, indeed, God is giving us the land. To paraphrase, God's giving us the land. We can go in and take it. It's good. Come on, guys, let's go. So in our passage today, we have two different types of responses to the obstacles that confront us on the way to inheriting the promises of God. One is from the unbelieving spies who do not have faith in the word of God, and therefore they reject it, and they are unbelieving and disobedient, and therefore they perish. The other is from the faithful who have faith in the word of God, and therefore they gladly embrace it, and they are obedient, and they are willing to walk in it by faith. And everybody in the church is in one of these two camps. Everybody in the church. Everyone in this story is part of God's covenant community. This is to say that they are all a part of the church. But at the end of the day, some are unbelieving and as a result uh, disobedient, and therefore they die. And there are others who are believing, and as a result they are obedient, and therefore they live. So the question that you have to ask yourself today is, in which one of these two camps are you a part? Which one of these two groups do you belong to? And at the end of the day, we will find that there are two different kinds of people in the church, those who are faithful and obedient and those who are not. So let us look quickly at those two responses. Um, Back up in verse 25, chapter 13. Uh. Let's read 25 through 29, and then we'll skip to 31 through 33. We're just looking uh, here at the, uh, at the unbelieving response. So we've got the two different responses, the believing and the unbelieving, the obedient and the disobedient. This is the unbelieving response. <clears throat> at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. Paran. Uh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. Besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, excuse me, and along the Jordan. Verse 31, then the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. So, the unbelieving spies are like, yeah, the land is 
a good land. It's a land that's flowing with milk and honey. It's fruitful, just like God has said. Here is some of the fruit. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the, the descendants of Anak there, there's giants there. They're like monsters, and, and we're going to be devoured in their sight, as it were. And, and moreover, their, their cities are like fortresses. There's no way that we can go in and take the land from these people. But in uh, verse 30, back up there, the one that we skipped, look at Caleb's response. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. And then down in uh, 14, verse 6, drop down to verse 6 of chapter 14, uh, we have Joshua and Caleb's response. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. The Lord delights in us. He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So they ha- the believing spies give the exact opposite report of the unbelieving spies. They say, come on, guys, let's go up. God is giving it to us. They're going to be our bread. God's given them to us as our food and he's removed their protection, we can go in and take the land from them. Well, as some of you may know, as the story goes, the people believe the reports of the unbelieving spies, and they are uh, fearful and unbelieving. Uh, They begin to complain against Moses, saying that... uh, uh, They complain against God, sorry... Uh, saying, why did you bring us out here into this wilderness like this to die by the sword? We would have been better off back in Egypt. And, and now our little children are going to be killed by these giants. Our women and children are going to be uh, killed. And um, they actually decide that they're going to appoint another leader and go back to Egypt. <laughs> so we have the same story all over again as last week. Uh, the people complain that they, uh, and they desire to go back to Egypt. They complain against their leaders, and God hears it, and as a result, he judges them, and they are condemned to die in the wilderness. These ten unbelieving spies, along with the uh, spineless men of that generation who were unwilling to believe the promises of God, are condemned to wander in the, years, uh, wander in the wilderness for 40 years, one day for each uh, one year for each day they spied out the land. They spied out the land 40 days, and now they're going to have to wander for 40 years until they die. And then the women and children that they complained about being killed by the giants are actually going to be the ones to inherit the land. So they're all going to die, and their women and children that they complained about are going to be the ones that actually receive the land. So God destroys this whole generation of unbelieving Israelites because of their disobedience, and as a result, he gives the inheritance to their ancestors instead. God kills all of all ten of these unbelieving spies, along with the wicked men of that generation, uh, who in their unbelief, disobedience, and rebellion were unwilling to go in and take the land as God had said that they should. Now keep in mind, these are all members of the covenant community who perish in this unbelief. They're all circumcised members of the nation of Israel. This is to say that they're all members of the covenant. They are all heirs of the promise, and yet they perish in unbelief. 
Friends, this, this passage is given as a warning to those of us who are in the church today. Those of us who are in Christ are to pay close attention to what has been said here because it applies to us as well. In the passage that I read this morning from the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of uh, Hebrews exhorts the church to watch out. He says, watch out or we, were, uh, we will end up in and under the same judgment as the disobedient, unbelieving generation of Israelites who died in the wilderness. This passage that we've just gone over in Numbers 12, uh, 13, and 14 is to be a warning to us. We're to pay close attention to what has been said here. I want to go back to the book of Hebrews and look at what the writer says there, because I think he sheds a great deal of light on our subject for today because he, he takes that passage that we've just gone over and he exegetes it or he explains it for the church living today in the New Testament era. So go back with me. You have the insert in your bulletin to uh, Hebrews chapter 3, and we're going to look at that for a minute. Hebrews 3, and we'll start up in verse 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. In verse 7, we read this. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I want to draw your attention to that uh, first sentence there in verse 12. He says, take care, brothers, um, and it's in the imperative, so it's a command. Uh, It's as if he's saying to us, be aware. Pay attention. Watch out. You need to keep your eyes open for this. And who does he make this address to? Well, the brothers. He says, watch out, brothers. That is, watch out, Christian, for this same thing may happen to you. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But how can this be? He's talking to Christians. Look at what he says next in verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I think the key to understanding what uh, he's getting at here is in verse 14, where he mentions our original confidence. Uh, We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, think back for a moment. What would the original confidence of the Israelites have been? Well, the fact that God had come powerfully through signs and wonders and delivered them from Egypt uh, with the plagues and the Red Sea crossing and the man in the wilderness, etc. So they're to trust in the God who exerted that same power, the power of God, to deliver them 
still into the promised land. They're to look back and say, oh wow, look at what God's already done for us. He was powerful and able to do that. Obviously, he can do this, right? They were to look back at the word, uh, they were to look back at God and what he had done and believe the word that he had spoken concerning the promised land. God said, the land is yours, I'm giving it to you. Now all you have to do is go in and take it. And they were to believe that word, and they were to believe it by taking it. You tracking with me on that? They believe it by taking it. Um, They were to uh, trust in the supernatural power of God's working in their midst. They were supposed to realize this is not a problem for God. This is a no-brainer. Look back at all he's already done for us before. He can do this. He's powerful and able to do it. It is not a problem for God. And the writer of the book of Hebrews takes that story and he applies it to us. Think about it. We are those who have been delivered out of the world and and from our sin through powerful signs and wonders, namely the incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are those who have been baptized as they were baptized in the Red Sea. We We have received instruction from Christ on Mount Sinai and from his holy apostles later on, just as they received instruction from God through Moses at Mount Sinai. Or did I say Mount Sinai before? Yeah. Um, the Sermon on the Mount, where Christ instructs us. Sermon on the Mount, Mount Sinai. It's another Mount Sinai. Um, they had the heavenly bread, just as we have the heavenly bread that we eat here together at the Lord's Supper. They had the manna in the wilderness. Um, we too have received an inheritance in the promised land of Canaan and for those of us who are living in the, uh, the new covenant today, that is the new heavens and the new earth. And we are to hold, uh, we're told to continue through this wilderness experience that we call life, this side of eternity, and to hold fast. We're to hold on to our original confidence firm until the end. And I, I think the original confidence here can Uh, refer back to our baptism, or more poignantly, the faith that we had at the very beginning. Uh, In chapter 6 of Hebrews, the writer uses the very same word to describe the first things. He calls them the elementary doctrines of Christ there in Hebrews 6.1. And there he talks about baptism, he talks about repentance, and he talks about faith towards God. So it's the fundamentals of the faith, the elementary doctrines of Christ, the first things. You're to hold on to those things firm to the end. We're to continue believing all the things that we learned at first. We're to continue to trust God to sustain us in this wilderness wasteland that we call life in the world, all the way until we fully enter into the promised land, and this necessitates our obedience to Him. Look at verses 15 through 19. He says in verse 15, As it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The emphasis here in this passage over and over again is to whom did these things happen? To whom did this happen? To whom did that happen? 
He is stressing the fact that this is members of the covenant community who perished in the wilderness. He's saying, you're just like them. Those of you who have entered into the church by baptism and profession of your faith will perish in the same way if you do not continue in faithfulness and disobedience. In other words, it's possible to be part of the covenant community and not finally enter into the eternal rest. Yes, it's possible to be a member of the church and to not enter into the final rest. It was true for the Israel of old, and it is true for the new Israel of the church. I don't know if you picked up on it, but in verses 18 and 19, he equivocates disobedience and and unbelief. Those who did not enter in did not enter in because they were disobedient. Then he says, you see, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So the disobedience was a sign of their unbelief. Well, what did they not believe? Well, the word that God had spoken to them with respect to the promise concerning uh, the promised land, the word that he had given to that wilderness generation. And we too have been given a promise. It's called the gospel. That is, we have received the promise of entering into a final rest in Jesus Christ by faith, and we must continue in the way to inherit it. When you enter into the church, you enter into a community uh, that is headed for this final rest. And by faith, you are to lay hold of the promises and walk them out in your life. You are to obey those promises. Among that wilderness generation of Israelites, there were two groups. The ten spies who were unbelieving and brought a bad report, and therefore... uh, they were disobedient and they perished in the wilderness. They perished in the wilderness along with all the men of Israel who followed them in their rebellion. So this portion of the community of faith perished. But there are also the two spies who are faithful in the community, Joshua and Caleb, and they are representative of the faithful and obedient. So you have two different groups and they represent two different types of people in the church, obedient and faithful, disobedient and unfaithful question you have to ask yourself is what group are you in? Now, what are some of the things that trip us up on the way to eternity? What are some of the ways that we turn back that we don't listen? Some of the ways in which we're unbelieving with respect to the promises of God and as a result, disobedient. Well, there are many. But we'll mention just some. First, we have bad teachers. <clears throat> uh, this is to say that we're constantly listening to the wrong people. Think of the Israelites. They had ten unbelieving uh, spies in their midst that brought them a bad report from an unbelieving worldview. And this is the sort of thing that, we've, that we need to guard ourselves against. It's, it's very easy to get sucked up into uh, the rhetoric of our day. God has told us some things about ourselves and the world around us, and he's told us, he's given us promises, and he's told us where this thing is headed, and we are to believe them, and we're to bring our lives into accord with them and go along with God. But we are constantly being confronted with an unbelieving, unbiblical worldview, one that if, when we follow it, it'll damn us right to hell. And who are our teachers? Well, it's the people that we listen to on a regular basis. 
for you kids and teenagers. I remember when I went back to school, I was confronted with a, um, an evolutionary view of the world. You know, this idea that, uh, that uh, you're stardust, right? your bags of stardust, you're all little shining stars. You're the result of an explosion that took place 500 billion years ago in the universe. Just a random accident. Now all you are really is just bags of biological stuff floating around. You're highly evolved protoplasm. And, and therefore at the uh, end of the day, nothing matters. You, you're from the soup, right? You come from the soup. Come from a back, some bacteria in a puddle. You're headed for nothing. And therefore nothing matters, right? That's what they're going to tell you. Um, now... Um, if that's the case, then nothing really matters, right? Nothing really matters at the end of the day. There's no consequences, so you might as well live your lives now. Live it up now. Live your best life now. You can do whatever you want to. You can be whatever you, you want to be. You can even be a little cat if you want to. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of stuff that you're going to be hearing. Now, you, won't, you may only be getting it in bits and pieces now, but get ready, when you, get, when you head off to the college and university, you're going to be confronted with this, uh, with this stuff over and over again. And these are doctrines that, if you believe them, will damn your soul to hell. And you have to be on guard against them. Or maybe it's the television show that we watch, or the radio interviews that we're listening to, or the news station um, that's on, or the movies that we're letting into our house. We've constantly got to be asking ourselves, what kind of a worldview is behind this thing? When we're, when we're listening to what we're listening to, and we're seeing what we're seeing, we have to be asking, what kind of ultimate assumptions is this program or this person, or whatever it is, what kind of ultimate assumptions are they making about God and the world and uh, mankind? <clears throat> Everything has to be run through a filter. Everything has to be stuck up underneath the light of Scripture, and we have to ask how it stands up, because if we're not careful, these things can lead us astray. We have to be discerning. We have to be careful how we listen and how we look, because ultimately, the way that we perceive the world around us, the ultimate assumptions that we make about it, have an effect on the way that we live our lives. And it's very easy to unwittingly adopt an unbelieving and unbiblical view of the world that will lead us astray into disobedience and ultimately into destruction. When I was in seminary, one of my professors, Dr. Anderson, he gave us a helpful acronym for um, remembering what a worldview is. He used the word takes. Um, so when, you just, when you're trying to examine a worldview, what, does it, what it takes to make a worldview, what it takes. And the T in takes stands for theology. You know, what, what does this thing, whatever it is that you're watching or listening to, um, what does it say about God? What kind of ultimate assumptions does it make about God? And the A stands for anthropology, man. What does this worldview say about man? What does it say about man's purpose in the world? Is man a special creation created in the image of God, or is he just a bag of biological stuff? What does it say ultimately about man? 
And K stands for knowledge. How do we know what we know? What does this worldview say about what we know? Do we get everything that we know from scientists? Do scientists give us all the answers? Or do we have a revelation from God and he reveals to us the truth? He reveals to us everything that we know about everything. Um, Ethics, E for ethics. Who says what's right and what's wrong in this worldview that you're looking at? How do we determine what is good and what is bad? Does the government tell us what's good or does God tell us what's good? Does society tell us what's good and what's right? Do we deem what is right and good by what society says? And last, as for uh, salvation or soteriology, what does it say about how man is saved? Does, is the government our savior? <clears throat> is, is our own humanitarian effort our savior? Or is it God? So that could help you when you're looking at worldviews in the future. And if I could add a letter to it, but it doesn't really fit, it would be eschatology or last things. E and L doesn't really fit. But what does is, what is the view of what you're looking at say about where we're headed? What is the purpose of human history? Where is it going? Does it have an intended end? So we've got to constantly be asking these questions when we're looking and we're listening. Okay, so what are some of the other things that hang us up along the way that cause us to turn away from God and His promises and go our own way? Well, another thing is self-sufficiency, right? In America today, we have this rugged individualistic mentality where... You know, I'm the captain of my own destiny and nobody can tell me what to do. What's good for me is good for me and what's good for you and what's good for you, right? Self-sufficiency. No. We're not self-sufficient. We are not fulfilled within ourselves and we are not the captain of our own destiny. Again, this is an unbelieving and unbiblical worldview. Uh, God is sovereign and he is guiding the uh, human race. He's guiding human history towards his intended end. He's created the universe and man with a purpose, and he's moving us towards it. And we are to get ourselves in line with what God is doing in the world and go along with him. This is the gospel. God created the world good with good purposes, but mankind has taken that in his rebellion and he has gone his own way. When we're saying, no, God, we will not have it your way, we're not saying anything new. We're saying the same thing that the disobedient and rebellious Israelites said here, and we're saying everything, we're saying the same thing that disobedient and rebellious men have said from the very beginning, which is, not thy will, my will. Right? Not God's will, it's my will. I will do as I see fit. But God has intervened in human history in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has set the world back on track, and he is at work to bring things to their proper conclusion, and we have been invited to come along. It's not a question of if he will do it, he is doing it. The question is, will you come along? Will you come along with him in it? Um, Finally, the last thing we will mention about some of the things that get in the way of us moving into the promised land or the trials, temptations, and tests along the way. We ought not to be surprised that just as we are beginning to make progress in the world and in our sanctification, that we run into a trial or that we run into an attack from the enemy. If we look at the history of our ancestors, this is the pattern. As soon as Israel begins to make some progress in the world, Immediately, they receive an attack from the enemy. They run into a trial or a test or a temptation. 
So just because you're under attack, and whether that be through some sort of temptation, sickness, maybe even a depression, some sort of loss in your life, this does not mean that you're doing the wrong thing. It may very well be that God, that you're doing the right thing, and God is at work in your life to sanctify you and to bring you along so that you might learn to struggle after him, right? And little by little, he will grant you the victory over these things, and you will move forward in his plan and purpose for your life and for the world. So as we're confronted with various trials and temptations in the world, we are to reject them, knowing that we have a better hope that awaits us in eternity. As we are pummeled by suffering, sickness, and even death, we are to press on, knowing that God is at work to move us further into the promised land, into our inheritance, and into greater degrees of glory. So in the final analysis, we have seen that there are two different types of people in the church. There are those who start out good and they respond positively uh, to the word of God, but when they're confronted with the various trials that this life has to offer, they forget about what God has said and they forget about what God has done and they abandon their purpose to follow Christ. They are disobedient to him. On the other hand, there are those who hear the word of God and embrace it with gladness and by faith, they walk in obedience to the commandments of God. And when they're confronted with the various trials that this life has to throw at him, throw at them, they lean in and they continue to struggle after God. They obey his will for their lives and they make progress in the world and in the kingdom. And in the end, they inherit eternal life. The question that you have to ask yourself this day is what camp are you in? What camp are you in? On the last day, will you find yourself among the unbelieving, disobedient generation of Israelites who perished in the wilderness? Or will you be found among the faithful? Will you be found among Joshua and Caleb and all the rest who refused to listen to the commentary of this world and who rejected the unbelieving opposition to the promises of God? And who on that last day will be told by their God, well done, good and faithful servant. Now enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us together to hear a word from you. We thank you for your revelation that guides us. We thank you that you have revealed your scripture to us, that we are not left alone without some help. God, we pray that you would help us to be obedient to your word that we find in it, that we would remember your promises, that we would obey them, that we would walk in them, that we would remember how you have powerfully and wonderfully worked in our lives to deliver us from sin, from Satan, and from the world, and everything that you have delivered us from to bring us to the very place that we are here today in our walk with you. And indeed, help us to continue to walk with you all our days into the very end so that we might enter in on that last day to the joy of our master. For it's in Christ's name we pray.